Welcome to I Run Radio. Coming up, coaching a group of runners to their first 5K virtually. Over the, the time that we were all virtual, it was uh, it was just amazing how dedicated they were. And, um, and then we set up our virtual 5K, and uh, they went out and they did their 5K on their own. Running on the journey back from a broken marriage. When she left, when it all came to an end very quickly, and, and everything came apart, it was, it was really the first time in my life when I had really ever experienced that deep emotional pain. And I had been doing physical exercise and Ironman and, and climbing mountains and all the stuff out here in BC. So I was good with the physical pain that I had control with and inflicting that on myself. But this first time of really feeling that, that loss and that aloneness, and the biggest thing was not knowing who I was now. And getting ready to welcome back runners to live events. My DNA is imprinted with race direction and it's imprinted around things that are really sort of visceral and tactile like um, sunrising the morning that you're going to put an event on, um, the sound of the barricades kind of clinking onto the pavement as they're unloaded from trucks and moved into place as you're getting everything set up, um, the smiles on people's faces when they're, you know, getting out of their cars or however they're getting to the event site. They're a little bit nervous, it's early in the morning, they're a little bit sleepy and they're making their way towards the start line. Those sort of real physical, tangible things, to me as a race director, are absolute magic. On this edition of I Run Radio, we'll talk with a runner and coach who's been leading a group of women virtually during the pandemic. Also, author and speaker Michael Tranmer on his road back from rock bottom, including the end of his marriage, and how running played a big role in that. And we'll talk to runner and race director Ian Fraser from Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend as we get ready to hold in-person events again, perhaps as early as this fall. Let's get things started with iRun's editor and general manager, Ben Kaplan. Hello, Ben. Hey there. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing good. You and I are both uh, among the very lucky people in this country who have been vaccinated for a second time, right? Yes. Yeah. Oof. Doesn't that Amazing. feel good? Oh, man, I thought this day would never come. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. I'm not sure there will ever be another finish line that I will appreciate and celebrate as much as the one that is ahead of us in this long journey that we've been on since March of 2020, you know? Yeah, good. Wow, and you're really putting it like that, huh? So you think that the finish line is really, yeah, well, I guess, and the kids are going to go back to school. Like, oh, man, dear yeah. Let's hope. Let's so, hope. Let's yeah, hope. I know there can yeah. there can still be, you know, like like it. I'm going to use the marathon metaphor here because this is a running sure. show. But, you know, <laughs> it, we're I, I feel like we're somewhere between 32 and 35 K, maybe even, you know, maybe even past 35 K. But and, wow. it's, and it's going well. But but yeah. <laughs> like in a marathon, you know, you, you can know. you can be running along and feeling really strong and then you know, five minutes later, you can be walking, right? So, um, yeah. So you yeah. know, there still could be things ahead, but but like a marathon, we are still moving. Even if we're slowing down, sometimes we're still moving closer to the finish line. And I know, you know, I feel like we are certainly a lot closer to the finish line now than we were a few months ago. I don't know when that is, but but it's coming. I had a real vision last. Uh, I was running this week and my group has sort of come back together, you know, with 
limited people, but it has still come together. But almost nobody from our group, it's unbelievable because it's, it's through a running shop in Toronto. And, um, you know, after 18 months of this, nobody, and there's, there maybe they'll say there's 150 in total spread out over a couple of nights, but at least with my group, it's like maybe 45 people. And not one person left during you know, all of this time and no races, no group meetings and no nothing to train for, but nobody left the sport and nobody left the club when the club had very little to offer, which is really, you know, it's quite telling that how much we appreciate it and how long we just sort of like, you know, carry on. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we're going to, we're going to talk to Ian Fraser coming up, uh, from, from Ottawa race weekend and, and, He's going to share with runners, you know, his own perspective on kind of how things will unfold from here. Wow. Um, So that I think will be of real interest to get a race director's perspective on that for anybody who's looking forward to running in a live event again. And of course, some of them are happening in the U.S. now and will this fall. Um, Big ones, including Boston. Um, So that's all really interesting. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there's just so much that I'm looking forward to. And and I I feel confidence in you know in the vaccines and I again I know there's it's not a it's not a straight line you know to the to the finish but I know you know being having a second shot and I know the more the more and more people who get a second shot and we're yes. in a country where there's widespread yes. acceptance of vaccines you know so yes. there's reason to be hopeful I'm I'm looking forward to it. Nice, good, and lean into that. And I think if all of us feel hopeful and everything, that it could sort of spread and that actually we do impact it. And if we, you know, we follow the rules when it's time to, we we get the vaccine when we can. Like these things, we can, we are active participants in what will happen in this world, you know? Exactly. We have power, yeah. Now, there's a... Um, uh, you know, as an example of how some things are somewhat getting back to normal, the Olympics are happening this summer, right? Yes, and uh, yeah, that's right. A matter of weeks away. And um, uh, you, you recently we um, uh, had uh, Natasha Wodak, who's going to the Olympics, share some tips for ordinary runners like you and me. And that was really cool. Yeah, I, and I love her tips too. And, and Natasha's a great, uh, she, you know, she's a great friend of the, the magazine and, and has been for a long time. And what I like about her is she just has a sort of like plain spoken realness. Um, sometimes the tips can be a little over the top. Sometimes same with the, the sneaker reviews, you know, where it could be a yeah. little bit like you need a PhD to sort of understand these things where, you know, Natasha breaks it down in a very simple fashion and i think that's really it's really beneficial just in terms of you know keep your arms close to your body and where you know just keep your head slightly raised and lean kind of forward and you know it's like one two one two one two one two to keep a little rhythm in your head uh, as you're going and it's sort of i've incorporated these things and it's just they're sort of plain spoken easy to follow they make sense to you yeah you know and how she's telling to breathe um so I would advise everybody to to, to go check that out because yeah. they're uh, it's easy to follow and it there's great does stuff help. there. The one I yeah, liked was thanks. avoid the grimace, and then right under it you've got a picture of her grimacing in a race. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> you got to check out that. Yeah. I was joking with her in that picture. She's racing another um, another elite runner named Rachel Hanna, and I was just telling Natasha in that photograph she looks like she wants to put ketchup on Rachel and eat her. Yeah, she really looks like she's. Yeah, she's yeah, in a, in hilarious. 
Yeah, yeah you cool. can check that out at irun.ca. All right, Ben, thank you so much for joining us this week. I appreciate it, my friend. Congrats on that second shot. That's Ben Kaplan, iRun's editor and general manager. Coming up next, coaching a group of runners virtually. This episode of iRun Radio is brought to you by Virtual Run Canada. Check out virtualruncanada.ca. That's virtualruncanada.ca. We've all been adapting to these unusual circumstances, fitting in our runs, trying to occasionally run at a safe distance with others. Joanne Merritt has been coaching a group of runners to help them run their first 5K, and she's been doing it all virtually. Joanne, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Mark. It's a real pleasure to speak with you. So we're going to talk about the runners that you were leading in a Learn to Run program before the coronavirus hit us. Uh, But before that... Let's talk about your own experience as a runner. How did you get into running, and how did you end up supporting others? Um, well, I started out uh, with one of the Learn to Run uh, 5K, Learn to Run 5K programs at the running room, and I actually started working there um, just part time, and I had a, a wonderful uh, time doing it. And I just started going through the different clinics. Um, that I started teaching uh, the marathon clinic, and that's how it flowed over into coaching. And I just started uh, increasing my distances uh, race-wise. I just got a little bored with uh, the 5 and 10, so I jumped to the half and saw people running the marathon, and I thought, okay, I want, that's what I want to do. So that's when I took up marathon running. So um, that was my, um, I guess, my favorite so, but it's been a while since I've ran a marathon and was hoping to get back into it uh, this year, but the uh, uh, COVID changed that for me. Sure, so, yeah. as it did for so many of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So how did you go from running yourself and enjoying that and, and enjoying mm-hmm. marathons to deciding to, uh, to, to lead other runners? Um, well, I started training with uh, a few of um, the runners from the running room, and I had a few guys that were uh, sub-three marathoners in my group, and it just really took off from there. Um, I started training a friend of mine, Jared Broughton, who was a visually impaired runner for his uh, first two marathons, and it just it just kind of fed out from there. And then um, I joined Upright Fit. My background is I'm a health and fitness uh, specialist and a, a certified running coach and a master's uh, level personal trainer. Um, and then from there, I just kind of decided, uh, you know, I wanted to do more coaching than just more competitive running because I was just kind of doing the same races over and over again. And I wanted to be on the other side of of running and coaching was just such an amazing experience uh you know just seeing somebody who had never ran before uh improve and run their first 5k or see them run their first half marathon um it was really quite an experience so it just took off from there yeah, and tell me more about what you enjoyed about coaching others, because there is this, there must be a great satisfaction in in seeing somebody achieve their goals or seeing someone who wasn't a runner finishing their first 5K or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, coaching has a different dynamic uh, to it than um, being a competitive runner 
it gives you the opportunity to really push somebody um, out of their comfort zone and really gain, give them the confidence to go to the next level. Uh, there's so many amazing runners out there that I've seen on the canal, and I'm like, oh, I would just like to get my hands on one of them and coach them and, you know, really, you know, work on their running gait because biomechanics is my background and, you know, start seeing if they can, you know, increase their pace or, you know, go further. And and it's really a, it's really rewarding to see um, the individuals that you do train um, go from nothing to, you know, running a full marathon and even uh, jumping over into ultra. Um, a friend of mine actually tra- uh, and I trained um, a friend of ours for a 100K ultra in Niagara a couple of years ago and in 2013, and that was remarkable, you know, uh, being on the support crew and, and just being able to see them accomplish this uh, amazing uh, distance. So yeah. it, does, it, it has its pros and it has its cons. Sure. But it has more pros. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about what was happening 15 months ago, 16 months ago when you were coaching some some women uh, to learn uh, to run and to, to chase down a 5K, and then all of a sudden we were in lockdown. Yeah, so um, I was training myself competitively. I was getting back into marathon shape because I was planning to run the uh, Winnipeg or the Bar- or sorry, the Manitoba Marathon. And um, that's when, you know, COVID kind of just bolted that out of the, the baseball field. And so I said to uh, to uh, Meg, I said, you know, why don't we start a Learn to Run program from Uprise? You know, we're, we're downtown. There's a lot of people that are going to be looking for outdoor activities and finding ways to get into shape. Um, so we put together, or I put together, an outdoor uh, Learn to 5K, and we were all set to go. It sold out, and uh, then we went into lockdown for the third time with the gym. So we had to move everything virtually um, because we weren't allowed to be outside um, in contact with other people. And I thought, how am I going to coach five girls um, virtually on how to do a Learn to Run 5K without actually physically being with them? But um, it was highly successful. Uh, So on Friday nights, we connected through Zoom and we did um, strength workouts and that were designed uh, especially for runners. And I took them through different uh, types of um, workouts using, you know, with plyometrics and, you know, just their their home base. They were at home, so there were a few obstacles that we had to overcome. But every Friday night, they were eager to uh, to, to zoom in, and we did our, our strength and conditioning workouts, and then I would send them a program uh, virtually uh, through email, and they would all run themselves um, with their running schedule at all different times during the week because they were all everyone had a different uh, type of job. But over the the time that we were all virtual, it was uh, it was just amazing how dedicated they were. And um, and then we set up a virtual 5K, and uh, they went out and they did their 5K on their own. And uh, one of my girls was so excited. She's like, oh, my God, I got my first runner's endorphin high. And I knew that was when she um, was bitten by the running bug. Yeah. So, 
So yeah, so yeah, now so I have two pods. You yeah, made it work, right? Yeah, it's called, we call it a running pod. So the five girls train together over five, eight weeks, and nobody else comes into the pod, which is great. So they all um, develop a really close yeah. uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. So you're able to, uh, through technology, you're able to simulate some of the dynamics that would be there if they were training together, right? Yeah. Um, it was. It, there were some, a few obstacles uh, that we had to overcome because they were all at home and we couldn't uh, congregate together to, to train. But um, it was it was quite um, nice to see them. Uh, dedicated to going out and running on their own you know it, as you know as a new runner it that's the that could be a big barrier it's like oh i have to run on my own i don't have somebody to run with me to pace me and yeah. tell me when to walk so yeah they they were really uh they were really perseverant and they they took it on and they took they highly uh succeeded the challenge it was a really good experience for them so yeah, yeah it was a lot of fun so how did you feel at the end of that when you when you saw them all finishing this 5k and you knew that you know you you knew you were going to coach them to a 5k you didn't know you were going to have to do it virtually you adapted you pivoted um how did it feel to actually see them accomplish that um well i wish i had been out there physically um to see them because i i was coaching triathlon before that and i was you know at the triathlons with my triathletes and seeing them come through the finish line was just an amazing accomplishment. And um, I kind of miss that um, being able to even set up a, you know, just a a make-believe finish line for them. So it was a little disappointing on that side, but on the positive side, um, just getting the feedback saying, oh, my goodness, I just ran my first uh, five kilometers. I've never done that before. Or, um, you know, they're like, I can't actually believe that I could run that far, you know? So it, I think it was more of a reward for them individually, for them, knowing that they had taken the eight weeks and they had accomplished uh, something that was kind of, they didn't really know if they would they would succeed at it or if they would finish it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was really exciting, so... And what about your own running? Where where where's that been for you during the pandemic? And are you are you thinking ahead to maybe being able to do a race again sometime soon? Now that we're we're all starting to get more vaccines and the infection rates are coming down. Uh yes, uh yes, I am. I'm actually thinking of of definitely doing a race. I'm not sure if it's going to be a marathon this year, but uh, with my own running. I definitely am out, you know, as much as I can. And it's a little hard when you don't have a goal uh, yeah. in, in front of you to keep running. But I'm out there doing um, shorter distance. Last summer, I did a virtual run across Canada race. And I was out just pounding the pavement um, every moment that I wasn't wow. doing what was, something else or so, working. So that how many and, kilometers is that and, and over what time? So it was called the Trans Canada Virtual uh, Race, and um, it was people from across Canada could sign up, and we you just go out and you run um, as much distance as you can per week, and then you would 
um, send the distance to the administrator of uh, travel or yeah. sorry, um, the Canada Trans Canada race, and every week they would calculate and add up the distance. So say there was maybe you know seventy five people running or walking, and we had four thousand kilometers that week. Okay. So they would they would track it, and plus we were raising money for the oh, Canada great. Food Bank. Yeah. Through, so it took about six months to do it. Um, it was it was taxing physically, but it was really amazing to do that. And I'm signing up for this new one called Race Across Canada, that is just now cropped up, and it's um, anybody and everybody can sign up, and you can join a team or you can run individually. And you can, it's 10,000 kilometers. And so wow. it starts July 1st, and you have until June, end of June of next year to complete your 10,000 kilometers. So, so it, starts in, it starts in St. John's, Newfoundland, and then it ends in Victoria, B.C. But, but basically you've, you've got a year to run 10,000 kilometers. Yes. That's a lot. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's quite challenging. But um, I'm up for the challenge. Yeah, so. I'm sure you are. Yeah, Joanne, it's yeah. been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for what you've done leading this group of runners and, and for all you do to support running. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It was nice talking with you, Mark. That's Joanne Merritt of Ottawa. Coming up next, author and runner Michael Tranmer on how he came back from rock bottom. This episode of I Run Radio is brought to you by Virtual Run Canada. Check out virtualruncanada.ca. That's virtualruncanada.ca. Just a few years ago, Michael Tranmer of Vancouver had to start rebuilding his life. His marriage had ended and he suffered from depression. Michael has since built his way back and become a life coach. He's done a TEDx talk and he's written a new book called Satori Ananda, Awaken to Happiness. And running is a big part of his comeback story. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, my absolute pleasure, Mark. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and congratulations on, on everything you've done, the book, the, the TEDx talk, uh, you're coaching other people now, you're, you're sharing your story, and it's a really powerful story. So, so thank you for doing this. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, and we joked uh, joked a bit in our in our pre-call just now about uh, getting better at receiving that that sort of praise, and that's <laughs> something that I'm I'm working on. But I also joked about you, you know, congratulations for what? Because sometimes it seems like like just getting out of bed on any given day when we don't feel like it is is really a win within itself. Sure. Well, especially in the last year or so, right? There's so much working against us. Um, so, yeah. So let's let's go back to the beginning of your story, because, um, you know, and I, 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 I feel I feel bad about, you know, asking you to revisit this, but it's the beginning of where everything started to come together for you really is when things fell apart. Right. And and you went through some very tough times. So so tell us, if you don't mind, more about that. Yeah, not at all. And then my story really starts where the where the old story kind of ended where everything fell apart and it's it's, um, it's it's a story that unfortunately many many people have the exact same story and for me it was the end of my marriage and this was about three and a half years ago when when I was 36 
And my life before that, I mean, we, we were good. We had a decent relationship. I was an engineer. I was really good, but not great, but very, very comfortable. Had the job, had the girl, had the place to live in. So fortunate here in Vancouver. And when she left, when it all came to an end very quickly and, and everything came apart, it was it was really the first time in my life when I had really ever experienced that deep emotional pain. And I had been doing physical exercise and Ironman and, and climbing mountains and all the stuff out here in BC. So I was good with the physical pain that I had control with and inflicting that on myself. But this first time of really feeling that, that loss and that aloneness and the biggest thing was not knowing who I was now back when I was married, like the, the, the relationship was such an identity and of, of who I, who I was and where we were going. But when she left, all of a sudden I had this blank slate and I had no idea what to put on it. And this emptiness and this void created this space where this, this new awareness came in, where I could tap into my thoughts and feelings and get a better understanding about what was going on and also more about who I was going to be now. Yeah. So how did you confront that, embrace it? How did you learn from that? And and now I know you're you're sharing that experience in so many ways with other people. Um, how did you how did you come back from that? And and what did you discover along the way? Yeah, and it, it was a really, really messy, gross, nasty journey to that continues to this day, to be honest with you, Mark. But in the beginning, it was it was really, really feeling and being curious about the thoughts that were coming up. I kept on having all these new realizations about why the relationship had ended and really hard and painful truths about what my role had been in it. And as hard and painful as these truths were, I needed to really learn them and accept them so that I could learn and grow and not make that any of those mistakes again and never feel that same pain again. But for me, what that looked like was really journaling for the first time to record all these thoughts and experiences that I was having and really learning, really sitting with and really feeling that emotion. And then in addition to that, for the first time in my life, I really, really recognized that I needed help. So I reached out to family and friends and I did listen to all the podcasts and, and read all the books about really finding that happiness again. So I really made that commitment in the beginning to do whatever it took to pick myself up off the carpet that I'd spent so many days and nights literally lying on the ground and, and crying, to be honest with you. Wow. But I did not want to stay there. So I made that commitment to pick myself up. And that was really for the first you know, five or six months after the breakup. Yeah. And you mentioned you were very athletic before. What what role did running play in your journey and your recovery from all of this? Running played and continues to play to this very day such a important role in my life. I run I run five five on average five mornings a week out here in Vancouver. Uh, I'm pretty in a good routine of doing 7K. I either go left towards Kitsilano or I go right towards Olympic Village. But that exercise and that movement and that body, even when I was going through this, but even when I have hard days now and I'm, and I'm lacking motivation or whatever it may be with all these additional challenges with 
with COVID, for me, my days are so much better when I get up and I go for that run in the morning and I move my body and I sweat and I get outdoors. And it's, it's just, for me, it, it's just the most beautiful, perfect medicine. And I'm just really, really grateful that uh, I had this ingrained in me from a, a very early age about how important that physical exercise is to keep us happy and healthy and motivated and moving forward. Yeah, and what do you think that is? What What is it about starting the day with a run or getting out at some other point in the day that that reframes the day, changes our perspective, contributes to our mental health. What is, what is that, that that really helps us uh, with whatever we're grappling with? Yeah, for me, and, and what I've, I've thought about this quite a bit, it's, it's just that, that opportunity we, we give ourselves to have that, that reset. And we gift ourselves that time, that half hour or hour, whatever it may be, so that we can give more to others later in the day. A lot of people feel really guilty about taking that time for themselves in the morning, half hour, hour, whatever it is, to, to meditate or journal or, or exercise, because they think they should just be giving to others all day long from the moment they get up to the moment they, they collapse in a heap at the, the end of the day. But for me, if, if I give myself that time, that self-love, if I make myself a priority, I'm going to be way better. I'm going to show up way more fully for others throughout the day when I take that, that opportunity to fill my tank first thing in the morning. And the other thing, it's just no matter how crappy a day I had the day before, I know that if I get up and I do my journaling, if I drink my espresso, if I do my meditation, and then if I go out and hammer out a run, I've given myself this, this reset. It's like resetting your computer you have this opportunity to start your day anew and afresh and motivated to move forward. Yeah, right on. Now, I, I know you've done some Ironmans, um, and I understand this this is something that runs in your family. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. My my mother did them for years. She's still wow. alive and still very active right now. But, yeah, my mom did them from and She really only started. She'd always been doing triathlon. My father was as well when, when I was growing up. But mom kept on going, and it was I believe it was only when she got into her 50s when she started doing the Ironman with, with her partner, Peter. And she, they did them for like a dozen years. And I'd always go to Penticton or, or Tremblant to, to watch them and, and, and cheer them on. And I'd always been active, and I'd done triathlons. But, you know, after a couple of years, Mark, I'm like, all right, what is wrong with you people? Why, why do you keep doing this? What is what is what is the drive? What's the big deal about doing the Ironman? So I, I had to go and, and do one for myself to see what all the, the fuss was about. So that was a, a few years ago. I've done a, I did a couple halves and then I did a full in Tremblant in August 2016. And then I got to the end of the finish line. And then once I got there, I could say for certain that, yes, in fact, you guys are all nuts. This is a completely <laughs> crazy thing to do. Exactly. But I'm so, so happy that, that I did it and I finished it and, and I have that you. accomplishment under my belt. Awesome. Good for you. So uh, tell me about the book. And, and the book is called Satori Ananda, Awaken to Happiness. So first of all, what's, what's the story behind that title? Yeah, the story behind the title, I pulled those two words out of Eckhart Tolle book, A New Earth. And that was in the month after, right after the breakup when I was, was reading and taking in all this information and, and trying to get an understanding of where this new awareness had come from, where I was 
taking a look at my thoughts a little bit differently. And these two words came out of there. So Satori is Japanese for flash of enlightenment. And during that time, I was just going through all these, these changes and emotions and just having all these flashbacks and getting clarity on, on certain instances in the, in the marriage that had led to a breakup. And they just given me these real pops of clarity. So that word really, really described what was going on. Yeah. And then Ananda is, is Sanskrit for the bliss of being. And that also really resonated with me because I was trying so, so hard to, to find some level of, of happiness and, and move forward after just being so crushed. And I realized that I found those when I was meditating or I was out running or I was in nature and I was just really, really fully present in the moment, not worrying about the past and the marriage, not getting too much anxiety about what was going to happen next, but really, really being present in the moment was when I was finding the most happiness. So tell me how you are now. Is You obviously kind of hit the bottom and and you rebuilt yourself and, and, and came back from that and you have so much to share on that. Um, what What's your life like now in comparison? Yeah, my life is quite a bit different than, than three and a half years ago. I mean, back then, before the breakup, I was, you know, I was on the path, like I mentioned before, and then everything happened. And, and the book really describes the, the six to eight months after that breakup and everything that I went through and all the information I was taking in and I, I, how I continued to dig deeper, it seemed, to, to find that rock bottom because I knew as an engineer that if I were to rebuild my life, I had to do so from a strong foundation. So I had to explore all these insecurities and these, these parts of myself and my being that I had really avoided for, for many, many years. And since that time, and now, I mean, fast forward three and a half years later, I've written a book about it. I've been promoting it over the last almost a year or so now. I've done a TEDx that, that talks about the story. And I've really just had my, 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 my fear, my outlook on what's coming forward in the future really open up where I've had the fortune of, yeah, I'm still an engineer. Yeah, I still love doing that work. But also, I've learned how to write, and I'm good at it. And I've learned how to public speak, and I'm good at it. And just last week, I was at this incredible four-day public speaking event where it became really, really obvious, Mark, that the next thing I get to explore is acting. Because I've had all these elements of what I've been doing on stage that I never even knew until I got that reflected back to me by some folks last week that, wow, you also have a skill and ability and real joy of when you are acting on stage. So what my life is really like now, I, I continue to have bad days and I continue to struggle because now I have all these big goals that I want to do mm. with the book and speaking and, sure. and now acting. So I, I get frustrated in, in, in that regard. But I'm just so so grateful and so open to, to new possibilities and creating new big and amazing things that impact people in a really, really positive way. Well, it's a great story, and it's so inspiring. Um, I, I wish you luck with the book and everything else you're doing. Uh, uh, we've really just scratched the surface here, and, and I encourage people to, to check out you and your story and the book. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Mark, so much. It's been super fun. That's author and runner Michael Tranmer. His book is Satori Ananda, Awaken to Happiness. Coming up next, getting ready to race again in person. 
This episode of iRun Radio is brought to you by Virtual Run Canada. Check out virtualruncanada.ca. That's virtualruncanada.ca. Since the pandemic began, we've all been wondering, when will we be able to race again in person? Well, of course, it's now sooner than ever. There are events in the U.S. and Europe planned for this fall, pretty big events. And there might even be some events in Canada. Ian Fraser is the race director of Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend, and he's going to share his perspective with us on how it all might go from here. Ian, thank you for joining us. Mark, it's a a real pleasure to be on. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Of course, I was on the board of Run Ottawa when you were hired as the new executive director and race director for Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend. I'm not on the board anymore, uh, but um, you and I still know each other and run together uh, pretty regularly. And and I, by the way, I appreciate you you doing that because you're you would normally be running faster if you weren't running with me. Um, but <laughs> so I I appreciate you slowing down for me so we can spend time together. Um, but the interesting thing is you were hired basically two years ago now, um, and you still have not put on an in-person Tamarack Ottawa race weekend, which is which is really weird, isn't it? It's so incredibly weird. Um, I feel like I've lived uh, a thousand lives over these last two years. <laughs> yeah, um, don't we all? And yeah. <laughs> oh, it's 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 isn't it just insane? And just just this point, in fact, um, I'm running at the perfect pace when I run with you. So you know, just consider that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but Thank it is true, and that. I think <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> I think one of the things that's been really important over these last nearly two years is an opportunity to kind of dig in and think about um, really what what the runner of today is looking for, um, what their experiences are in day to day life that translate into um, their life as a runner. You know, I think this idea that participants are only one thing, they're just, we see them as runners when they show up at a start line, it has really sort of, um, I've, I've kind of had this awakening around what that looks like. So, you know, we've been trying to look at all of our, of our runners and participants as these three-dimensional people. They have lives, they have physical and mental health issues, they have challenges, particularly through COVID, and I don't think we would have looked at them under that same light um, if, if we hadn't uh, gone through this over the last 18 months, effectively, or 15, 16 months. So this has been a real sort of insightful period for us, and it's been, been an opportunity to really dig in there and think about um, the run experience generally. Yeah. And and obviously, like so many other uh, event organizers, you've had to make decisions and adjust and, and adapt. Um and and I'm sure it's been it's been incredibly challenging. Um, but now, as we start to emerge from the pandemic, what's your thought process about you know what the future might look like? How soon we might be racing in person again? What some of the the changes might be? Like for example, you know, are we going to go all the way back to normal, or are we going to have uh, you know, uh, wave starts? Are we going to have people requiring, to, you know, the requirement to prove vaccination, to participate in an event? What are, I know you haven't made decisions about all of this, but kind of what's your thinking on all of that? Yeah, I think that's a, a really excellent question because there are so many unknowns. So the first part of 
unpacking the first part of your question, when could we be back to uh, in-person races? You know, I, I, as I mentioned before we, um, before we uh, started to speak, you know, I just had my second shot yesterday. And so I'm euphoric today, even though a little bit chill stricken. Um, <laughs> I'm euphoric about the, about the idea of, of returning to in-person races. And as an organization, we're planning to put on three this coming fall. And I have a high level of confidence that we will actually be able to put on something that resembles an in-person event that, um, that people will recognize. I think it's important uh, for listeners also to know that um, certainly in the United States, there has been nearly a, a full return to business as usual within the insurance sports space. So if you were to uh, jump on a plane and, and fly into California or Texas and participate in one of your favorite events there, it would look and feel very much the same way it did pre-COVID. Um, and, you know, we've spent as an organization a lot of time reaching out not only to other event organizers throughout Canada and the United States, but I've also had conversations with the PGA Golf Tour on how they um, looked at COVID because if you've ever watched golf before, um, you see 10, 20,000 people standing around a fairly small area watching. Um, so the spectator load looks a lot like it would uh, at the start line um, for any major running event that you might go to. So we've spent a lot of time kind of reaching out. And, and you know, there's been a lot of negativity or sort of hesitation with people saying, well, it's, it's never going to look the same way again. I don't think that's true. I think um, as vaccination rates increase, I think it's going to be a fairly quick return to things that, that, that are familiar. Um, and I think that when we put on Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend in May of 2022, I think the look and feel will, will be very similar to what people have experienced before. That said, we're going to be very careful with um, the numbers that we bring into the field. So we want to curate a field that's a little bit manageable, more manageable from a size standpoint, so that if there are uh, particular measures we need to put in place around COVID safety, um, which are paramount to us, we'll be able to manage a, an event size that perhaps a little smaller than we've seen before, but a little tighter in that, in that regard. Now, to talk about vaccine passports and requiring people to, um, to be fully vaccinated, it's interesting in the United States now, two examples, I think uh, Ironman Lake Placid is requiring that everybody who participates in July be double-shotted and fully vaccinated. Um, I think everybody might know if they were watching the news recently that a Bruce Springsteen Broadway concert um, had a caveat that you needed to be fully vaccinated, but it couldn't include AstraZeneca. So I think there's some yeah. political... And, and I think they've um, since switched back away from the AstraZeneca component did. of that. Yeah. But there's they been did, all this sort of... Politics. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and I think, you know... I think we're not going to require if I, you know, and don't hold me to this, but my knee jerk reaction um, would be not to require a vaccine passport to participate. Um, I think there may be some liability inherent in that um, that we might not want to take on. And I'm not sure that we're coordinated enough in Canada to be able to have that rolled out yet. Um, there's there's no signaling that we've got a process in place. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about w where things are in the United States. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, look, we don't necessarily want to rush into things as quickly as as they have in in some places in the U.S. And, and there's good reason to be cautious. But 
ultimately, the thing to remember, and it, it's sometimes hard to remember this in the middle of a crisis, but the thing to remember is one day everything will be, from a racing perspective, back to normal. We will race again like we did in 2019. So maybe there are some interim steps we need to take in the meantime while we're emerging from the pandemic and returning to normal. But that day is there down the road. So it's just a matter of how we get from here to there, right? A hundred percent. So the short run considerations around returning to to uh, a fulsome kind of experience are things like making sure that while the, the, the current hospital and, and infrastructural system is a little bit taxed because of COVID and that's uh, hopefully um, lessening over time, we don't want to add to that. So when yeah. you think about Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend, we set up the, the equivalent of a mobile hospital. Certainly right now, those resources are not available to us. So as we scale out smaller events and we try to use other uh, resources to create um, health and safety aspects of our event that don't tax the, the traditional system. Those are important short-term steps. There are going to be a number of things to make people feel comfortable and safe and confident coming back to, to events that might lead us to overbuild some safety features, but they're really, really important. And I think, yeah. um, I think sort of your participant confidence is, is paramount right now and, and making sure that people understand um, what risks are inherent in, in participating in outdoor in-person events and, and what things we maybe not don't need to pay uh, as particular attention to. So, Ian, what are you most excited about uh, when it comes to putting on live events again? And, and I should point out that, you know, even before you took this job, you were... You were very involved in 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 other events. Uh, you were you were a partner in an event company. You've participated in lots of events. You've organized lots of events. You've been a race director many many times before. So you've never you've never been the race director for an in person Ottawa race weekend, but you've done lots of other events in the past. So what is it you're most looking forward to about being uh, you know around a live event again? Oh, that. Uh... You know, my DNA is imprinted with race direction, and it's imprinted around things that are really sort of visceral and tactile, like um, sunrising the morning that you're going to put an event on, um, the sound of the barricades kind of clinking onto the pavement as they're unloaded from trucks and moved into place as you're getting everything set up, um, the smiles on people's faces when they're, you know, getting out of their cars or however they're getting to the event site. They're a little bit nervous. It's early in the morning. They're a little bit sleepy, and they're making their way towards the start line. Those sort of real physical, tangible things, to me as a race director, are absolute magic. And and seeing people smiling when they cross the finish line, and the one thing that I know I'm going to miss for a long time was sort of a tradition where I would stand at the finish line and shake shake everybody's hand or high-five them as they cross the finish line. Um, obviously, I was never going to be able to do that effectively in a race with over 30,000 people, but that concept of having that, that closeness with our participants is something that I, I cannot wait to get back to. Yeah. And, uh, and realistically, I know lots can change, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm not asking for any commitments or predictions or anything, but is it, is it your sense that there likely will be some smaller events happening in Ottawa and in other parts of the country uh, this fall, and then potentially, if all goes well, larger events happening in 2022? Is that kind of the, you know, your best guess at this point? Yeah, 
that's the trajectory, and that's the working relationship that we're we're going going forward with. We are planning to build out fall events, smaller fall events, uh, under a thousand people uh, in that neighborhood, and with a full view to to putting on an event with multiple thousands of people in May. I think we're there. I think um, the vaccination rates, one shot and now two shot, um, are starting to really kick in in terms of how we're seeing hospital counts go down, ICU counts go down, and I think that's the real measure. So we're super positive that that's going to happen. I get asked, I have been asked this question a thousand times over the last year and a half, and I've always said, well, I don't have a crystal ball. I think, you know, I think my crystal ball has come out of the shop and the repairs are all done (laughs) and I can look into it a little bit. And uh, that's where I think we're going to go. One last thing, Ian, we should mention before we let you go, just the extraordinary success of the Scotiabank Charity Challenge that is always a part of Ottawa Race Weekend. Um, and and despite the fact that a lot fewer per- people participated in Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend this year because it was virtual instead of in person, you raised a crazy amount of money. So tell us about that. <laughs> we did. You know, if you're looking at, we're probably about one fifth of the participant uh, totals that we've had in previous in person years, and we've set our record year. So we have cracked a million dollars. We have raised over a million dollars for local charities. Wow. And it has been unbelievably rewarding. Our whole team is just, you know, stoked every time we look at the counter on our on our registration page and we see the totals coming. You know, we had these really modest expectations early on. Maybe we'll get to $250,000. So, you know, like every every three weeks we were recalibrating the sort of the, the target that we were totaling. And so we have now crossed the million dollar um, uh, mark, and we are just winding that program down. So I think that says a couple of things. I think it it talks about how our participants are connected to their community. I think that's really crucial. Not that they weren't before, but I think that connection between community, why you're going out to run, um, what's important to you and your core values as a you know as a person moving around your city on a day to day basis is super important. Yeah. And I think we're just thrilled by that. Absolutely thrilled. Awesome. Great stuff, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mark, it's always a privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Ian Fraser, the race director of Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend. And thank you for listening to I Run Radio. Have a great week.